Today's term and title is called The Method. The Method. Who remembers last week? What was last week's uh, sermon title? The Message. We're in a series, The Message, The Method, The Manger, and today it's The Method. And before we jump full in, I want to say that today we communicate in so many different methods, right? There are so many ways that we communicate. We have... Um, video calls, we have conference calls, we have text messaging, we have emails, regular phone calls, person to person, social media, which by the way, some people only communicate in social media. You know, you, you, know, they, you, know, you know those people that are real talkative on the internet, and then you see them in person, they're like, it's like, yo, are you the same person as, you know, be, all be talking in caps and in exclamation points and this and that, and then they see you in person, you're like, that does not sound like, well, it's okay, it's okay. While all these methods are great, it hasn't been always this way. There have been other methods of communication throughout the past and history, throughout different cultures. Here are a couple methods of communication that I want to share with you guys before we jump into the sermon this morning. One of the methods that we saw back in the day, and is still used today, believe it or not, is called Morse code. You guys heard Morse code, right? Morse code is a series of, like, sounds and beeps. Um, it, was, it was named after Samuel Morse, the guy who, start, who, who created it back in 1830s. 1830s. And, and Morse code was not only can you hear the, the, the sounds and the beeps, but you can also read Morse code. It has like dots and dashes, dots and dashes, in case you didn't know that, right? Um, you can also uh, communicate with Morse code through flashing of light. So Morse code was, um, you know, you can hear the beeps, you can see the lines, and you can also see the flashing of light and those different ways to use Morse code. Um, pilots, air traffic control uh, controllers, uh, captains of ships, they're, that's more frequently used amongst those, uh, those occupations. There was also a time that people used carrier pigeons. Carrier pigeons, remember that? The roots go back to an ancient Persian culture, and this method relies on the pigeon's ability to remember how to get home. And so what you do is, you know, you would, they would tie the little message to the pigeon, you know, to the foot or to the, uh, to the uh, leg, and then they would let the pigeon go knowing that the pigeon would end up going home, which is that's where the message was to be delivered. They, did you believe in it? They used to use this in the military, too, especially during World War II. And there was this one pigeon in particular. I'm not making this up. Check this out. There was this one pigeon in particular called Sher Ami, right? And she was given the Medal of Bravery, this pigeon was given the Medal of Bravery. Check how gangster this pigeon was. For you to get, to, so you, for you to get the, to, uh, the uh, Medal of Bravery. She delivered a vital message to the American troops in World War II despite being shot, blinded, and losing a leg. She still made it and delivered a message to the American troops which helped save um, the majority of lives in that unit. It's crazy, right? So I guess this pigeon did deserve the Medal of Bravery, right? It's crazy. 
Now, don't go out North Philly trying to find a pigeon. Because believe it or not, it's a special breed of pigeon. They're called homing pigeons, all right? But, uh, yeah, these pigeons out here, they're not going to do it for you. <laughs> they're going to be like, yo, give me the message. I got you. And never, <laughs> never take it to nobody. <laughs> all right. Message sticks. There's, a, there's a, um, the aboriginal people of Australia. Listen, Australia has um, a bunch of different tribes throughout the, the, the wilderness. I'm saying, like, like, lots of tribes. And believe it or not, each tribe has a different language. It's not like all the tribes speak the same language. There are over 200 languages spoken between all the different tribes. So how do these tribes communicate? They have message, message sticks. So they, they had these sticks, and they would draw things. They would color it. They would have carvings on it, and they would carry it. And if they would encounter somebody from another tribe, they would use the stick to communicate with one another. Scalp tattoos. Back in 499 B.C., Persian tyrant uh, Hestisius sent plans for a revolt to his nephew. They were going to overthrow the Persian government, Persian Empire, right? Or he was trying to. And so what he did is he took a slave and he shaved his head. And he tattooed the plans of the revolution on his head. He waited so the hair grew back and then sent him to his nephew to deliver the message. When he got to his nephew, his nephew shaved his head. And then he got the information. They tried to do that. As if they were victorious or not, I didn't have time to study that. Sorry, guys. Yodeling. Who yodels in here? Anybody yodel? Sasha? Yo, you yodel? <laughs> yodeling, yodeling originated in this... I mean, you could come up here and yodel if you want. Remember, like, yo, 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 no. <laughs> this originated in the Swiss Alps. And let me tell you, the reason why they would yodel, because many times they would spend each other, they would be, one would be tending uh, uh, sheep or her, uh, a herd of cattle, like, like in one valley. Another one would be in another valley. Some had... Um, you know, uh, we're up in mountaintops. And so communicating from mountaintop to valley low or from mountaintop to mountaintop, yodeling was the best way because talking doesn't really carry as far as yodeling. Yodeling has like really high point, low point, this, that, and it kind of like the way it sounds, it actually carries better through the sound, like through the air. And so they would yodel to communicate through uh, long distances. I'm not going to yodel again. Why are you trying to set me up? Lastly, there was a time, it felt like a lifetime ago, where people used to carry these little black boxes like this, right? And they used to keep them like right here. Sometimes <laughs> they came in different colors. If you were really cool, you would get the see-through ones, right? You know, you know the see-through ones. And well, this, this, little, this little box would beep and would let you know that someone was trying to get in contact with you. So then you would look at the little box. And I know it's ancient technology, right? You would look at the little box, and it would just have a little screen. It wasn't even LED. It was not. Oh, LED, LED. I don't even know what it was back then. 
It was a screen, and it just had enough room for a phone number. So now, now somebody was trying to get in contact with you, and now you had to go on a scavenger hunt to find a telephone. Pay phones. Thank goodness they, they actually had pay phones back then, right? And then you would have to be like, oh, and then you have to find change. Find a telephone, find some change, and then you would be able to call the person back and hope that you didn't wait too long because now when you call that person back, hopefully they didn't leave home. Or hopefully they didn't leave the payphone that they were waiting at because sometimes it was like payphone to payphone. <sighs> yes, pagers was another way of communication. You got real, you know, catchy when we started figuring out codes, you know. You know, one, four, three, I love you. You know, you know, and things like that, and, you, and, and then codes and things like that. So sometimes you didn't have to write back. It was just a message. Anyways, it's interesting. It's interesting how many methods of uh, communication we had, we still have, and only, and we, listen, this whole FaceTiming stuff, the Jetsons. Do you guys remember the cartoon, the Jetsons? They invented it. They invented it. These are things that as we continue to grow, we have new methods of communication and we still hold on to some, but it's crazy. Last week as we spoke of the message, the message that God gives us is a message of love, it's a message of hope, it's a message of grace, of mercy, of peace. And today we continue this series to discuss the method, the method how sometimes he sends his message. I want to read Romans chapter 11, verse, uh, verse 33. Romans 11, 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. How impossible is it for us to understand his methods, his decisions and his ways. The first point to understand is that God's mes- method goes beyond our comprehension. We have to understand that before anything. God's method is beyond our understanding. And a major part of the miracle of Christmas has to do with the method that God used. In this verse, Paul praises God. He focuses on God's greatness, on how wonderful he is, uh, his, you know, his riches, his wisdom, his knowledge. But he still says, how great you are. I, 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 can, I can acknowledge how great you are. I can acknowledge how wise you are. I can acknowledge all these things, but your methods are beyond our understanding. It's an example to us that, yeah, we can praise him for who he is. We can praise him for, 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 for just who he for, What is that? I've never even heard that in my life. It's a different method. <laughs> Yo, I, didn't, I never even set that, re- like nothing. I was like, I don't Pastor, you got to silence your phone. It is. I don't know. All right. The method. <laughs> That's like two weeks in a row, right? Don't keep track. Um. 
the method. So it's like I understand who you are, and I'm going to worship you and praise you for that. But what I don't understand is how you do things or how you think or, or, or how you go about things. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. Honestly, when you think about God's message for us and think about how he chose to deliver his message to us, right? We would have done things a little differently. For example, if I were writing the script for the redemption of mankind, if I'm writing the script for the redemption of mankind, it would most certainly not have written it the way that God did. It, it would not have been the way God did. God, uh, he chose to reveal himself in a way that people would understand. Even though, I mean, if I, like I said, I, I wouldn't have chosen that. He came into this world a helpless, defenseless baby. Baby. Human baby. <laughs> now me, I don't know. I would have picked, like, the savior of mankind. He would have had all the gadgets and the gear. He would have been, like, eight feet tall. He would have had, like, super strength. I mean, I, I don't know. My example, you see, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a, we mean hacked or something. That's what it is. It's like I would have chosen a superhero-looking guy to be the savior of mankind. I mean, if I'm God, I could choose anything. I could create anything. But he chose a baby. He chose to be born to a humble, average people. A couple, not rich. He wasn't born in a palace. That's why when Erica was talking, I was like, go ahead. I was like, go ahead, go ahead. She's warming it up. He wasn't born in a palace. Born in a barn. In a barn. He was born to a young couple whose heart was pure. He was, they were plain, they were ordinary people. And that's what Erica was mentioning just a second ago. He uses ordinary people. Yet God chose them to be the parents of Jesus. Sometimes we work so hard on trying to uh, bling out our spiritual lives. I want you to hear me out. Sometimes we work so hard trying to bling out our spiritual lives, hoping that we would catch God's attention so that he will use us. Let, let, me, let, let, me, let me work so hard on trying to look the part. Because I say look the part. Because we all want to, we all should be growing in our walk. We all should be. But, but let me try so hard to look the part so I can capture, so I, I can grab God's attention. And he can be like, oh, 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 look at Christina. Oh, I guess I could use her. I mean, you know, she's sparkling of ministry. Oh, look at Caesar. He can tap dance now? I could use that for the kingdom. Sometimes we get so hung up on trying to play a role because we feel that that's the only way God will use us. When in all along, God needs you to be you. 
Yes, we grow closer to him. Yes, we grow in our knowledge of him. Yes, we grow um, with our intimacy with him. But when it comes to being used by God, he wants to use you. He doesn't want to use a fake version of you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you the way you are. He wants us to be humbled before him. Sometimes when we bling ourselves out, we think we got it down. You know, like, well, you know what? I know this. I know that. I know this. I know, how to, I know how to shake when I need to shake. I know how to jump when I need to jump. I know how to, you know, this clap when I need to clap. Uh, let, let me get God's And God is like, yo, can you just humble yourself so that I can use you? James 4, 6. James 4, 6 says that he gives us, he says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you understand what grace is? All right, so you know how when, when you're growing up, you've got to learn the difference of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Mercy is to not get something that you do deserve. Like if you deserve death, his mercy is that he saved you and you no longer are going to die. Grace is that he gives you something that you had no business getting. Something that you don't deserve at all. Like our kids. We got a lot of grace with our kids because, you know, this Christmas, half our kids don't deserve what they're going to get. We love our kids. We're going to get them stuff. But let's be real. They don't always listen. They don't always do what they're supposed to do. And if you think they do, then you haven't caught them yet. But that's grace. We fill the Christmas tree up with all sorts of presents, stuff like that. I got, yo, oh, yeah, this is new thing Abigail does. And some of you guys have already seen it. She goes around the house judging us. Like, she goes around and she's like, Daddy, Mommy. And I'm always the thumbs down. Why do I always get the thumbs down? Like, what, what is that? Like, what is that? But it's grace. I still get her stuff. I take her out. I took her to the movies last night after she gave me a thumbs down. I'm like, yo, I can't catch a break with this little girl. But that's grace. And so it says, his verse says that he gives grace to the humble. So when we humble ourselves before him, he continues to pour out open doors that should not have been opened, get, um, provide in places that we, should, he shouldn't ha- that we shouldn't have, you know, um, just continue to comfort in places that maybe we, shouldn't, we, we weren't going to have comfort. He, gives, he pours his grace out onto us as we humble ourselves before him. God's method. Isaiah 55. Verse 8 to 9. <laughs> For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor, your, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's methods are different than our methods. Now, this shouldn't surprise us. For anyone who has read their Bible at any point in life, you should know that God does things differently than we would. 
We see examples all throughout the Word of God of things that he did that we probably would not have. He chose Abraham to leave his home, leave everything he knew, his life, the career, his family's business. They leave it all to go look and travel to the, plant, to the place of promise. I mean, if I was God, I want my people to be in a problem, be like, there you go. If I'm God and I want you to be here, if I'm, I would just be like, here you go, Taina, now you're there. But the way God did it was he said, I'm choosing you. You got to leave everything, everything that you know, all the people you know, and you have to travel and trust me. And figure and just continue to trust me until you get there. He chose Joseph, the second youngest of Jacob, to be the savior of his family. And not only his family, but many more. But do you guys remember what Joseph went through? I would be like, come on, God, give the guy a break. Give the guy a break. His own brothers turn on him. They, throw, they, they go to beat him, and, and, and they go to kill him, and then one of the brothers spares his life, and they throw him into a pit, and then, or then they, they take him out, and they sell him as a slave, and then he travels as a slave, and he goes, he's a slave, he's a prisoner, he's a slave, he's a prisoner, he's in jail, and then God uses him. I wouldn't have chosen it that way. And if, it ended, and if it went that way, my ending would have been a little different than God's ending. That's what I'm saying. I would have hooked my, hooked my dad up, but I don't know about everybody else. All my other brothers, I don't know. He chose Israel, the least significant nation. Listen, this was a time that Israel was, was nothing. They were slaves. Their whole, na- their, their whole nation was enslaved by Egypt. That's like, that's like if all of a sudden you take all of Philadelphia, right? You take all of Philadelphia, and now, overnight, everyone in Philadelphia is a slave to a greater, a greater city or state. The entire population enslaved. Women, children, working, enslaved. He chose this, the least significant nation, and he chose them to be his people. He chose them to be his people, his chosen people. He chose David, a shepherd boy, the youngest of eight sons, the youngest, to be the king of Israel. David had some impressive brothers. They were, they were you know, they, David had some, some of David's older brothers were like they were in the military, they were strong, they were big, and David was just a little shepherd boy, so in- insignificant to his own family that he wasn't even presented at first when they came to pick which, who would be king. Are you sure you don't have another son? Oh, yeah, I got one more. Dang, that's kind of sad, right? Oh, yeah, I got one more. He's, he's somewhere with the sheep somewhere, but you, you really want him? You want me? All right, I'll get him, I guess, if you want. I'll get him. He chose Bethlehem, a small, insignificant town, to be the birthplace for Jesus and his son. Are you starting to see the pattern here? 
are you starting to see that God's method over and over and over and over again, it starts to point that God is choosing plain and ordinary people so that he can do extraordinary things. He's choosing, listen, we, we, we're different. We're built different, especially when you got to pick teams. You ever play, like, pick up basketball, football, you know? It's like, all right, um, team captain. All right, who are you going to pick? <laughs> I'm going to pick that guy right there. And you go for the biggest, the strongest guy. I'm a, and then the other guy's like, I'm going to pick that guy. And then the people at the end are like, Can you gonna, somebody going to pick me? Do you know that the other way around, God would have picked him first? Do you understand that? If God was uh, picking up a, 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 a four more guys for a five-on-five, five, he would have picked that guy first. So when that guy dunks, you'd be like, what? And like, God would be like, yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me. God would be like, yeah, I did that, I did that. But if Andy dunks, like, well, he is tall. He is already like, you know, almost six-something. You know, six that's what God does. And, when, and, and as he's picking ordinary, plain people, we should be reminded, wait a minute, I'm, I'm ordinary. I'm plain. That means he's talking to you. We can't think that God wants to, he, we can't think that God won't use us because we don't think we hold any special abilities. Many times some of us are hesitant because, oh, God can't possibly use me. I mean, what do I have to bring to the table? What, what do I have to do? I mean, what, what do I have to give? You know, I have no special skills. Yet, he wants to. In the book of Luke, he records in his account of, birth, of Christ's birth that Mary and Joseph, they traveled to Bethlehem for the purpose of the census. They were counting. You know, they were, you know we have census today. They were counting, they were, you know, they, they had to register for the census, and then when they were there, the time came, and she was going to have that baby. She was going to have that baby. Mary, you know, uh, they, they went everywhere, they, they, they couldn't find any place, and the only place they had was a barn, a manger, a stable. She, she wrapped up the baby, Jesus, in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them anywhere else. You guys know what a manger is? A manger it looks all nice in the cartoons. A manger looks nice in the nativity story that everybody decorates, you know, in some places. But a manger is nasty and dirty. A manger is actually the feeding trough for animals. So you fill it with food, and they go in there, and they eat. And that means that spit and chunks and all sorts of stuff come out and it's all over a manger. It's all over. They stayed in the barn, and it wasn't, they, they couldn't even get a Motel 6, and y'all know. They couldn't even get that. Joseph, being a good husband, he was probably trying to, like, clean the trough. He probably went there and began to, like, scrape it and, and try to put fresh hay in there. You know, um, he probably tried to say, okay, where are we going to sleep at? We're going to sleep right here? Okay, let me get all the poop out of the way. Right? Let me, let me shovel all the poop to the side, get as much out as possible so that we can at least be comfortable in this little spot. 
I was reading this, and it kind of reminded me of a little horror story that I went through. Um, my wife and I, we, um, we had agreed with my brother-in-law to go to visit him, right? And my brother-in-law, some of you guys met him in the Super Bowl party this year. He's the one with the wizard beard, right? Um, he's a super in the Bronx, and, you know, he, he's responsible for a couple buildings. And, and I guess one of the benefits of being a super in the Bronx is that you have, like, a whole lower level to yourself. Like, it's like, it's like he's got, like, a community banquet room next to his, like, right part of his apartment. He's got his apartment. He's got all this. But the thing is that there's no bell for the super's thing. Like, you have to, like, have the key to go through into the super's area because you don't go through the building. You go through the side. Like, you don't go through the front. And so he says, yeah, here's the address. You know, come visit me. You know, we're gonna be, we're gonna and so we leave late because we had something here in Philly. So we get to New York, like, after midnight. I mean, it's after midnight. We get to the Bronx, and um, I'm calling him. And the dude's not answering his phone. And now we're in the Bronx. We're in the Bronx right now. I'm like, okay, I'm now, you see, we all both have more family in the Bronx, but you just don't call family almost at 1 o'clock in the morning talking about, like, I'm here. I don't got no place to sleep. Even though they tell me it would be okay, I, don't, I can't do that, right? So I'm like, you know what, babe? We call and call and call, he, and he's not answering. So we're like, you know what? We got to find a hotel or something. So I Google, like, the nearest hotels where we were at. I didn't think about, listen, I'm, I was, I'm from the Bronx, but I wasn't born in the Bronx. I was born in Manhattan, and then I left early in New York. My wife was in New York a lot longer than me. And every time I go back to New York, I spend most of my time in Manhattan, and so I wasn't familiar with the neighborhood of the Bronx that I was in because it wasn't my neighborhood. I was in Kingsbridge, but we were not in Kingsbridge. And so I'm looking for a hotel, and I'm like, you know what? There's one not too far from here. Let's go. And we get to the place. The bulletproof glass should have given it away. <laughs> it should have given it away, but bulletproof glass should have given it away. And then here I am. I'm like, babe, wait in the car. So I heard Abigail. Abigail is with us. Awake. She was a baby. She was a baby. So here we are. I'm in there, and I'm, I'm trying to get the guy's attention, and he didn't speak English, really. I'm, I'm trying to, I got a room, boom, boom. Now, there was somebody asleep on the couch in the lobby, and there was some guy just hanging out in front of the door. So I'm like, all right, looking around, looking around. I'm like, man, you know, I'm a little frustrated, you know, because you can't carry in New York. It's a commie state. So then, um, you know, so this, so here we are, here we are, and that's the truth. So then, um, so then I, finally get, I finally get the keys, and I come to the room, and I was like, babe, let's not even go through the front, because the front was kind of like, it was shady. I was like, let's get, go through the side. I have the key. So I, took, I parked by the door, the side door. I brought her in and went to the room, and we opened the room, and instantly I'm like, what is this? The uh, smoke detector was hanging from the <laughs> ceiling on a wire. When we turned on the lights, only two of them worked. And the bed looked like someone had just gotten up. Like, it wasn't done. Like, it, it, like somebody literally was just like, Shh, and then got out of bed and left it like that. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way. I said, babe, get back in the car. 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 The fortunate thing of this story was we were able to find a very nice hotel later, finally. But Joseph didn't have that opportunity. I can only imagine how he felt because, listen, even those conditions, as bad as they were, were a million times better than the conditions that Joseph and Mary had. 
And he made the best of it to, to try to make his, his family comfortable. And yet, you know, I mean, we got lucky. We would just get back in the car and leave, find somewhere else. We were in Hunts Point, the Bronx, by the way, if anybody's familiar with Hunts Point. That's not a touristic place to go. God's methods, they transcend us. We don't because they go, they're beyond our understanding. And his method also includes us. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 12. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 12. It says, but the angel assured, reassured him, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in the strips of cloth, lying in a manger. To celebrate this amazing occasion, the angels announced this, because these are the angels, announcing the birth of Christ to who? Shepherds. Shepherds. Did I read that right? You mean they didn't go and announce the Messiah's birth to queens, to kings, to religious leaders, to the military leaders? I mean, mean, the Messiah, I mean, you remember the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. It was in there, it was in their scriptures. The Messiah would come. And now the Messiah is here and God doesn't reveal it to them. The first people that God tells are ordinary people, shepherds. The first to hear the great news, the announcement of the birth of the Messiah. The more you think about it, the more incredible the whole story becomes. Part of the miracle of Christmas and the miracle of this method is that God uses ordinary people to do his amazing, spectacular, supernatural work. Following, looking at this method that God does, that God uses, following his resurrection, Jesus reveals himself first to a group of women. A group of women. Specifically in, in John, especially, you know, he's, we, we know of Mary Magdalene. John 20, verse 14, in the beginning of 15, says this. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. And he said, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. I mean, if you guys know the story of Mary, you're like, her? Out of all people? Out of all people, he reveals himself to her? <laughs> he didn't show up at the temple, kick the door, and boom! To the Sahedrin and to all the uh, Pharisees and, and all the teachers of the, of, of the scriptures and be like, ta-da! I told you! I told you I would! See, that's why I couldn't be Jesus. That was my first stop. My first stop was like, oh, hold up. Boom. You said what? You said what now? I would have been, been my first stop because they didn't believe. 
They were the ones that killed them. They were the ones that, that were like, you know, this guy is nobody. I would have shown up and like, I told you, y'all didn't, y'all didn't want to believe me when I told you who my daddy was. Y'all didn't want to believe me. God's plan was different. And after his resurrection, Jesus revealed himself to his followers and gave them the responsibility to go and make disciples. He didn't go to the religious leaders. He didn't go to the, pro- to the Pharisees and tell them to do it. He went to the ordinary people, his followers, and commissioned them to go preach the gospel. Do you understand that Jesus entrusted the good news of salvation onto ordinary people? He entrusted the salvation of the world rested in the hands of ordinary people, just like you and me. Just like you and me. Simple people. Paul, he comments on God's method of using ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary work in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. He's like letting them know. Right? Remind them, remember, y'all wasn't nothing. (laughs) Y'all weren't nothing when God called you. Instead, he still chose you, right? He chose, uh, instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despite the, by the world, despised by the world, things counted as nothing, as at all, and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. He'll take people that are maybe not so bright to bring shame to those that think that they know it all. He'll take people that maybe have no influence, have no power, to embarrass, to shame those that think that they are the most influential. The things that the world will look down upon, he takes and he uses that to bring shame to those that look down upon them. God's methods, they haven't changed. He still uses ordinary people. He still does. We get so hung up on our own abilities. Church, We get too hung up on our own abilities, not realizing it's not about our abilities at all. We say, well, I know I'm ordinary, but I, I can't, I don't know, I haven't been. And we start our sentences so quickly because I, I hear it all the time, guys, and, you know, especially when I ask, you know, someone to, to join something or to lead something or to be a part of something. A uh, pastor, I don't know, I've never... I don't, I don't know how that, I don't, I, I, it's the first thing. It's the first thing that comes out. And I'm like, I know. Like, I know. But don't worry about that. God will take care of that. 
He wants to use regular, ordinary people. We get so caught up on our abilities, right, that we, we forget to understand, truly understand that it's not about your ability, but it's about, it's about your obedience, it's about your attitude, it's about your availability. Meaning like, Lord, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, I don't, I'm, I, I'm not going to focus on like how I'm going to do that because I don't know how, but I'm here. If you want to use me, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And that needs to be a prayer that we, we go before God and say, God, I know I'm holding back, but I'm here. I'm here. Use me. Use me. I'm here. I mean, even if it's to, to, to move a table, move a chair, or to hold a kid's hand, or to hug someone, or to, I'm here. I'm here. Whatever you want, I'm here. And keep saying, God, God I'm here. And God's going to be like, oh, okay, great. Here, I need you over here. Can you do this? I need you over here. And he will guide and direct you. God has entrusted us to spread the good news of salvation. What are you doing with that great responsibility? He's entrusted each and every one of us that have already a relationship with him. Each and every one of us that has says, Lord, I want to receive you. I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple of Christ. Each person that has made that commitment, he has now entrusted you to spread the good news. That's a great responsibility. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with the with the task that you've been given to by God. Lastly, God's methods, they sanctify us. If we had it our way, right, we, we accept Christ, we get saved, and then uh, after we get saved, we, you know, uh, our faith in Christ grows, you know, we won't have any problems. You know, we get baptized, we move up, we learn more, things are going great, there's no arguments, there's no problems. All our problems when we accept Christ all of a sudden go, they go away, right? <laughs> if we had it our way, life would be a heavenly bliss after we accept Christ until the day we go before God in eternity. Unfortunately, that is not reality. The reality is that we experience problems before Christ and after Christ. We experience pain. We experience pressures, hardships, struggles, sickness, temptations, despair. Some of us feel like we take one step forward in our walk with God and we're happy and we take three steps back. We take one step forward, oh, thank you, Jesus, and we take three steps back. And we, 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 we're in this constant going back and forth, and, 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 and we're so frustrated because that's the reality of this walk. Some of us feel that we're not, some of us sometimes feel like we're not getting anywhere. I know some of us don't understand this, especially when you find yourself in the going back phase, right? When we're like, when we're going through hard times, when we're going through some difficult moments in our life, sometimes it's hard to understand God's method. But we must trust that God is at work in our lives for the good. We need to choose to believe 
that God is working to shape and to mold us so that we can look more like Jesus. Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It's important we always read the full verse. Read the full verse. Mary had no clue what was in store for her life. When, when God tells her, oh, you're going to birth the Savior, she probably was like, oh, my goodness, but still did not have a clue what was in store. When Joseph was approached by the angel and he was like, <laughs> he had no clue. Even after he decided, I'm not going to leave this woman, I'm not going to divorce, I'm still going to marry her, I'm still going to move forward to this. Even after he made that, he had no clue what they would endure. They both endured shame. They had to deal with the accusations because, you know, she was a virgin. There had to be, come on, y'all dating, she pregnant, and then y'all going to get married, but y'all trying to say that she, she you didn't get her pregnant? And you still going to marry her? Yeah, whatever. Nobody will believe that story today. Accusation, the embarrassment that was brought upon their families, the shame that was brought upon their families, the ridicule that they endured. But in the end, they experienced seeing God become flesh right before their eyes. The miracle of God becoming flesh right before their eyes. The cost of being obedient and following God's plan was worth it. Many of us need to be reminded that God uses our suffering as a tool, as a tool of sanctification. Suffering causes our focus to turn inward, right? When we start to suffer, we start to look at, our, at the inside, right? So we focus into turn, we, we focus we turn our focus inward to face the parts of ourselves that we might otherwise ignore. God can use suffering at that point to develop us into better people. People who can love and enjoy him forever. James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse two, and four, 2 to 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This is another one of God's methods that we, don't, we wouldn't pick for ourselves. We don't want to go through hard times to get better. We don't want to have to go through hard times so that God can mold us through those things. But do you understand I, I, I don't know when I mentioned this. I don't know if it was last week or the way that the muscle works. I, like you have to like break it down for it to get stronger. You have to tear it for it when it heals, it heals stronger. And that's, that, that's what God does with us. Sometimes we're broken so that he can mend us to be stronger. Sometimes he allows us to be stretched we know that when we stretch, we become more flexible. Something that we all should probably try to stretch, right? We should try to stretch so we don't pull something just walking up the stairs. 
God, church, can you stand with me this morning? God's method. Church, we need to continue to trust God. We have to trust God. We were on Tuesday night prayer, and, we, and, and, and again, it's like we were all on one accord. I know Erica spoke, and then someone else. And it, and it was all on one accord about just trusting God. And I know we say we trust God, but do you truly trust him? Do you really believe? The example that, that we gave on Tuesday night was um, many times we, we, we pray for people, right? And our prayers look a little something like this. I'm going to pray for the podium. Lord, I pray for this. I pray for this person. I pray for, the, you know, for healing in their life. Lord, bless them. Heal them of their disease. Lord, I know you can do it. That's what comes out of your mouth. That's what people around you are hearing, right? And then inside, you're like, Lord, I hope you can do this. I hope, I, hope, I hope you're hearing me. You know, I mean, it would be nice if you do this. I know, I know maybe you're capable of it. I'm not really sure if you'll do it in this person. And, and so what happens is on the outside, we are praying this apparent prayer of faith. But inside, we are so far from it because we don't even believe ourselves. If you're not going to believe that God can heal someone, don't lay your hands on them. Just don't. If you're not going to believe that God can deliver them from the trials and the tribulations and the addictions and the bondage and the chains that they're in, then don't, don't, don't lay your hands on them. If you're not truly going to believe that God can do what his word says that he'll do, then keep praying for God to expand your faith. We are not seeing, the church is not seeing a powerful supernatural move of God because we are not believing. We lack faith. And I speak of the body of Christ these days. Not, you know, I'm not targeting us. But we lack faith. I was telling them Tuesday, and I think I've told this church, I told you guys before, like I'm tired of living in the memories of the past. I'm tired of living of the stories of how great God is, the miracle that he has done before. I'm tired of hearing how my grandfather did this and how my, my grandfather saw this and how people were set free and delivered and healed and, and arms grew and, and, and vision, vision restored and, and cancer healed overnight. I mean, I'm, I'm tired of just hearing of all the stories that we used to hear from our elders of all the great things that God has done. Can I tell you something that's not a secret? That God of yesterday is the same God we serve today. There's no reason why we are not seeing those things today other than our own lack of faith. Prayer team, can you please come up? We don't understand it. Even though we understand the circumstances and the trials we find ourselves, we got to continue following him. His method is that he's going to use people like you and me to share his message. 
Some of us have heard his message. We've heard the message of love and joy and peace and mercy. We've heard the message of God. Yet we're struggling right now because we aren't seeing this in our lives, right? We hear how God is love, and sometimes we feel unloved. We hear how God is peace, and yet we feel that our lives are in turmoil right now. We hear how God is a God of love, and we don't feel love. He's a God of mercy, and we feel like, like he's not protecting us from things. But the thing is, that I want to remind you today that his methods are not like ours. You've heard the message of God. You heard the message. He is who he says he is. If you are in a moment in your life right now that you feel that it's not reflecting in your life, that maybe you're just going through some things that you just can't explain, that you don't understand, then be reminded that his methods are different. You might be in a moment in your life where he is trying to mold you, where he's trying to build you up, where he's allowing the muscles to tear so that you can be stronger tomorrow. Do you understand? But you know why he's ripping those muscles today? Because when tomorrow comes, you'll need to be stronger to survive. You'll need to be stronger to live. You'll need to be stronger to be firm in your faith, which every day that goes forward, it gets harder and harder to be firm in your walk with God. We're living in a world that wants to just completely eliminate who God truly is. It wants to strip people of, of, of their God-given purpose. Every day, the society will use all forms, all ways to discourage you from moving forward. And so, in the ripping, God is saying, I love you so much. And it hurts me that you're being hurt right now, but you'll be stronger tomorrow because you'll need to be. I'm sorry that you're crying right now. I'm sorry that it's hurting right now. I'm sorry that you're going through right now because I'm going to tell you this. God loves you more than anyone you could ever think. And he's like, I'm sorry. And I can imagine him sit, I can imagine looking down, him looking down at us. And, and, and I can just imagine his heart filled with compassion and filled with this, with this desire to say, man, I wish I could just take them and just, I wish I could just do this. I wish I could just put them here. But if I do that, they won't grow. If I do that, they won't be stronger. If I do that, they're not going to learn to be able to fight for themselves. And right now, they're not here with me. Right now, they're there, and they have a mission. In the military, I swore some of our drill instructors were just demonic. I would look at them, and I'm like, you guys are literally just watching us die here. You're watching us die. 
I told you guys about how I didn't like the water training. I witnessed one of the other guys in the combat pool, like, drowning. And they waited and waited. And they were like, all right, now we'll get him. And I was like, yo, you guys are so evil. But that's what, well, at the time, each day, military kind of we gets wimpier and wimpier. But at the time, that's what made Marines different than the rest of the world. I'm not saying better. I'm saying different. We were different because of the things that we went through and how we were trained. They broke us. They broke your spirit. And then they brainwashed you. To think that you were invincible. To think that you could take on the world. To think that you were bulletproof. And we left there thinking that way. We really did. God right now is breaking us. He's training us. He's building us. He is preparing an army. An army of followers that say, I will be committed. Use me. Use me. My methods are different than yours, says the Lord. And he says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? My methods are different than yours. Do you believe that I'm working in your life? My methods are different than yours. Do you believe that I love you? We want to pray with you this morning. We do. We do. Don't, don't, the altar is open. Don't hesitate to come up. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you because... We understand that in the journey, we understand that in the method, we understand that, that, we don't, that, that it doesn't make sense to us, what we go through, what we're feeling. And God is saying, listen, if you would just hold on to me. And some of us are, are, are trying to hold on and we need strength. I want to pray with you. Some of us don't understand something right now. I want to pray with you. Some of us don't feel God in our corner right now, we want to pray with you. Some of us right now have, are, are struggling to do something with the responsibility that he's given to us. Like, like we, we have yet to move forward in the mission that he's given you, which is to go and spread the gospel. How do I do this, God? What do I do? What do I say? Where do I go? We have questions. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you this morning. We want you to leave here today empowered, encouraged, understanding that you serve a powerful and mighty God, that you have purpose, that you will be victorious. Hallelujah. Father God, we come before you right now. We worship you. We praise your holy name. Father, we may not understand your methods, Lord, but I trust you. I am choosing to trust you. Your methods are not ours. We, we, wouldn't, we don't understand them. 
But I don't need to understand your method to know that you love me. I don't need to understand your method to know that you are worthy of my praise. Father God, speak to us today. Help us, Lord, overcome the hurdles of being stuck about the, way, the method that we don't allow your message to go through. Right now, Father God, right now. Right now, Lord Jesus. If there's someone that hasn't accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the great news is that today can be that day. If you're watching online or if you're here in, our, in, in the service, you can make a decision today to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that he died on the cross for my sins. And on the third day he rose, defeating death, conquering it. I want to accept him to my life. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to serve him. If you want to make that commitment today, the altar is open. The altar is open. If you're watching online, you want to make that commitment today, send us a message. We want to pray with you. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I praise you, Father. In Jesus' name.